Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Brandon, it's a Wu-Tang Wednesday. We got Chris Herring on the line. Let's go. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Hour number two. Anthony Heron filling in for Lawrence Holmes on the Lawrence Holmes Show. We'll go out to the hotline, the Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline. Home of the world's largest sports book. And we do have Chris Herring of Sports Illustrated on the hotline right now. Chris, what's up, man? This is Anthony Herring. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Outstanding. We are, uh, of course, coming off of the NBA All-Star Weekend festivities. And I, I tend to be rather entertained by the reaction that, that all fan bases tend to have to the All-Star activities in these individual sports because you know everyone acts like they don't like the all-star activities, you know, they they can't stand the Pro Bowl because nobody tackles. Then they can't stand the dunk contest because people miss dunks, and nobody plays defense in the the all-star game on the court. Probably the only one they don't complain about that much is maybe the baseball all-star game. But even that, they don't like it determining home field. Is there is there a way that you feel like the NBA needs to continue a, adjusting the the all-star weekend festivities in any manner? I, I I think they actually solved the big part of it. I mean, we talk about the idea of uh, of the no defense, which is probably true for most of the game. Not probably, it is true. Um, the Elam ending, I think, has fixed a lot of that as far as the competitiveness and the fact that at least for one quarter, at least for the last few minutes of one quarter, an untimed quarter, they're going to try really hard. And, um, you know, and there's a competitiveness that's there. And, uh, you know, I think when you have a, <laughs> an all-star game come down to a last shot, a game-winning shot, um, like we saw, you know, I don't think it, you also have to remember, and you know this, I don't need to explain it to you, that we live in a world where I think people would like to be able to complain, regardless of how well fixed this stuff is. And um, I mean, look, none of the All-Star games are perfect, but at least it wasn't ending in a tie like we've seen baseball games happen before. It's not a pro bowl where we're playing a, a super physical sport where guys can get hurt or can get hurt more easily in non-contact. So I think basketball actually has a lot of it figured out. The dunk contest could have been better, but um, we've had really, really great ones in the last few years, and so we're bound to have a, a down year as well. 
Chris Herring, a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. You can find him on Twitter at Herring underscore NBA. And the, the dunk contest itself where, you know, you didn't have big names, quote unquote, in the dunk contest. A lot of dunks got missed. But I feel like it wasn't that long ago where, you know, it, it's come up probably a couple of times during my adult lifespan over the last, you know, let's call it 15 years or so. We're on and off every couple of years. There's kind of a chorus of people saying, well, we, we got to do something. Like, why, why do we even have the dunk contest? Or no big names do it and blah, blah, blah. But then every once in a while you do see some of the best dunkers in the game come back to it. Dunk versus three-point shootout, does, does that really even matter which one gets the, the marquee spot? Because it feels like folks were, were really encouraged by the way things went with the three-point contest. And that's part of the discussion that plays out right now if the dunk contest should maybe be moved elsewhere. Um, you know, I, I think the bigger thing with the three-point contest is because it's not a style thing. It's it's an efficiency thing that there's really no downside in someone like Steph Curry, Trey Young, Clay Thompson. There's no downside in them doing it every year. So they don't get too big to do the contest. There, there there's no uh, There's no risk in reputational harm if they do the contest. Now, with the dunk contest, I think it's been said, several times, you know, you might get Kobe to do it once. You might get Michael Jordan to do it once or twice. Uh, LeBron has not ever done it over the course of his career. And, you know, and, and, and so that's just kind of the way it's been to some extent. I think people would love to see Zion Williamson healthy enough to be able to do it. Um, but, you know, there, there's nothing to be gained from it, from that perspective. They're superstars already. Um, and if you have a performance like some of the guys had, this past weekend, all it really serves to do is kind of bring you down a notch. Certainly not, you know, it's not going to cause a team to not give you a, a big contract or anything like that. But in the eyes of the fans, it just kind of serves as a, a disappointment. So I, I don't think that it's that one is better than the other. I just think that one lends more credence to the idea of being embarrassed versus the other. Yeah, we, you know, people tend to assign kind of this this global proclamation about it based off of one season. I mean, like if. If Obi Toppin can put the ball behind his back over another human being and dunk the basketball, you get a few more of those in the contest with people making them, then you know, I think the perception of it is ends up being really different. You, you did mention the name Zion Williamson, and he's, I don't know, his, his storyline just feels kind of odd right now because of the, the foot issue from the offseason and not having played yet and looking really impressive during a, a rookie season that folks were, were excited about. But now he's, you know, I guess making news still is probably the accurate way to, to describe it, even though he's not out here in the public light doing it. Is he, is he not long for new Orleans? Uh, is he a player who's out of shape? I mean, what, what exactly is going on with him at the moment? I mean, it's, it, it, just reading the tea leaves of it, it doesn't look particularly great for new Orleans. Um, the other thing that happened this week too, is, is that they sent out, a letter to season ticket holders without mentioning his name in the letter. Um, as far as, you know, they, they listed a whole number of players that are on the roster that they're excited about. They obviously got CJ McCollum in the trade. Jonas Valanciunas has been solid for them this year. Brandon Ingram was a borderline all-star and they're mentioning all these people, but not mentioning Zion, which I mean, everything that you're pitching to your season ticket holders, particularly in a down year, uh, although they've been better, um, you know, over the last month or two, is the idea of pitching the future to try to convince people to sign back up to be season ticket holders to try to convince new people to, to hop on board. Um, so when you don't mention your, really your, your marquee young guy or the guy that you would hope to be able to build this thing around, 
I think speaks volumes. And, and obviously what you were referring to also was J.J. Redick, a former teammate of Zion Williamson's, but also someone who went to Duke and also someone who's represented by the same agency, really um, kind of took a torch, a blowtorch to, to Zion yesterday and saying just kind of how disgraceful it is and how unusual it is for the face of a team, uh, even as young as Zion is, to not reach out when a, when a key player is traded to an organization, especially someone as, as well-respected as C.J. McCollum. So, you know, I think it's important to clarify that since then Zion has reached out. It might have been kind of that he was shamed into doing it. Um, I think we have to give some benefit of the doubt, not much, but a little bit of how young he still is. Um, you know, when we're talking about guys that are – three years into the league like he is, that they're only 20, 21 years old. Um, But I I do think that, that, you know, this has to be a growing up moment for him. And if he does want out, I do think that there is something to be gained by just saying that instead of kind of um, being one foot in, one foot out, and just kind of being a malcontent uh, this early into a career in a season where, quite frankly, I think New Orleans has been better than expected considering that Zion hasn't played all year considering that they're, you know, they've been playing with one hand tied behind their back. They've been much better um, over the last two months. And so, I, you know, it's not a, a hopeless, completely hopeless situation going forward for them. But if he doesn't want to be there, I think people benefit from knowing that as opposed to just kind of hiding that in the dark. From the, the Bulls standpoint, the, the way that they've been such a positive storyline this season in the face of all, all these different injuries and and guys having to miss the lineup via COVID and everything else. And now you you have so much of the lineup that either is still out or potentially like likely playing through, through some sort of pain and injury in Zach Levine. I'm just wondering for, for those of us and you, you being in and around Chicago, I'm wondering whether or not just that image of the bulls franchise that seemed really, you know, kind of negative and, and the concern for being able to sign marquee free agents that was there for so long, it, it feels like now that there are folks legitimately, legitimately rooting for the Bulls, hoping the Bulls do well and not just those in the city of Chicago, just enjoying this franchise in a way that they haven't in some time. Is, is it fair to, to say that it seems like the, the image of the Bulls is, is at least in the process of being repaired, if not having been repaired at this point? Well, I'd like to see what happens in the playoffs. I, you know, I, I covered the Knicks for years. I just wrote a book about the, the 90s Knicks that, that has gotten some attention in New York. And, um, you know, people ask me, like, what would it take to get back to the 90s? And I say stable management. And fans in New York have said, well, this is stable, right? Like, you know, they just had coach of the year. And it's like, yeah, and that same fan base now is saying that they many people think that they want Tom Thibodeau fired you know and so that's the point is that you know you can't take one year and kind of you know give it a gold star uh i was one of the only people i think i wrote a long piece for sports illustrated before the season began saying that i thought the bulls had really overhauled the the roster certainly and that i thought they had a very good chance to be a team that got home court advantage in the first round which i remember even colleagues that I really respect were, were kind of like, what are you, what are you thinking saying that? Like they didn't do that much. The team isn't that good. And I thought they were being overlooked. And so it looks like that was right. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they finish. I think just because um, very quickly, you know, they've been, they've been able to hold on and they're still tied for first, but a team that I think really because of the way the Eastern conference looks, you've got the top, six teams or so that are all within three, three and a half games. Um, so the Bulls kind of have to be careful there. They've still got teams that 
if you look at them, you look at Milwaukee, and you look at Brooklyn, who all of a sudden the rules might be changed as far as vaccinations in New York and what that means for Kyrie Irving. Um, you look at Philly, a team that, granted, looks different now at James Harden, but a team that they haven't beaten 10 or 11 tries, and Joel Embiid just dominates them. I don't know that they really look stronger than any of those teams. Certainly on paper, even when they go head-to-head, maybe they look even, but playoff intensity is a lot different, and it's not something that Zach Levine has really experienced. Um, it's not something that DeMar Rosen has excelled at. Um, so we're going to have to wait and see. I, I, I think it has been a very, very nice season for them. You certainly don't want to take anything away from a team that's tied for first when they've been out of the playoffs for four years. But um, it'll, it'll take a little bit more to really get to that next level to where you're convinced. They've certainly turned something around, but whether they can really make anything of that here, it's not good enough to be a first-place team for most of the season in the East and then not get out of the first round. Um, or to get out of the first round and not be competitive in the second round. I think you have to be swinging for more than that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do in buyout season to, to bolster this roster because there's still some questions there, I think. And in, in enhancing the roster that a way that the, the way that Arturis Karnishevis has and, and, you know, getting Ball and, and Caruso and now just recently here adding Tristan Thompson and so he'll be here with them during the stretch run, that – the perception that so many of us around town had that just, man, they, they tried and failed with so many free agents so frequently since the Jordan era and trying to see what could be combined with Derrick Rose and swinging and missing on guys that, that they didn't draft. And that that's where I'm wondering, does the what, what's the calculus for how things are operating on the field? Do the Bulls need to win? Do they need to advance in the playoffs to sort of establish that they are the back to being a franchise that free agents should want to come to? Or is there something just more structurally and internally and just showing health and competency that can do that, even if the playoffs aren't successful this year? It's a, I mean, it's a very good start. And I mean, what I would say, um, look at, look, for instance, at the, the Knicks, a little bit different because I think that the Bulls have a little bit more star power, obviously, but um they had an unbelievable year last year, going from 21 wins to 41 in a season that was even shorter um, and really just kind of coming out of nowhere. I don't think the Bulls have come completely out of nowhere. They had overhauled their team, certainly, and so I had expectations for them. Maybe not everybody, but I think a lot of people thought there was at least potential. I think it's useful to have more than one year where you show competence. Um, obviously, it's a new regime, and so you, you feel better about it from that standpoint than than you did with the last one. I tend to think that people generally look for a couple years of stuff trending in the right direction. Sometimes it's not based on that at all. You look at Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving, I guess Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, the Nets had been good for several years. Maybe not great, but they'd been decent, good for several years with Kenny Atkinson. They make a decision to go there. The Lakers had not been good at all and had, you know, were in the middle of a five-season uh, drought from even making the playoffs the longest in their history when LeBron decided to go there, which I think he could admit had probably more to do with uh, weather, had more to do with movie making, filmmaking, the history of the franchise. So who knows what it will take for the Bulls to land another guy and, you know, kind of the, I would say kind of like a capstone player that you would think might take you over the edge and and put you really at, at the front of that conversation. I'm not sure what that takes. It could be anything. It could just be a deep playoff run. Um, but you have to be encouraged just that they're even in that conversation because I don't think people would, 
would have thought that that would happen this quickly or this soon for them. So it's uh, it, it's been positive to see. Well, if you're within the sound of my voice, go and get the book Blood in the Garden. It made the New York Times bestseller list, so you certainly won't be the first to go get it. That is the book written by Anthony or by, by Chris Herring on the New York Knicks. Such great work there. Really appreciate your time today, Chris, kind of breaking down the Bulls and the NBA at large. Thank you so much for having me. You take care. All right, that is Chris Herring of Sports Illustrated, senior writer there at Herring underscore NBA. That book, Blood in the Garden, the flagrant history of the 1990s New York Knicks. When we return, we are going to transition into uh, some football talk and the discussion around this, this new Bears regime and specifically the quarterback, Justin Fields. What was he best at last year? And, and what can this offensive staff that was brought in by the Bears what can they focus on to make sure that they're maximizing the potential for this Bears quarterback? We'll get into that with an expert who broke it all down. We'll do that next year. The Lawrence Holmes Show. I am Anthony Heron filling in for the great Lawrence Holmes on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. I don't know how y'all see it, but when it comes to the children, Wu-Tang is for the children. We teach the children. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Well, that's a process. I don't think there's a specific answer to that, to be honest with you. I think, you know, this is going to take time. Uh, we're going to have to get to know each other. Um, and, and then through that process, you know, the focus will be on that, finding out, dialing into what he does best, and then matching that with the other 10 guys on the field and what they do best. Um, but definitely not a direct answer to that one right now. It's a Wu-Tang Wednesday here on the Lawrence Holmes Show. I'm Anthony Heron filling in for Lawrence Holmes. Let's go out to the Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline. Home of the world's largest sports book. And that's where we will find Anthony Tresh of Pro Football Focus, PFF College. You can find Anthony on Twitter at PFF underscore Anthony. And the, the question that was just asked there by Bears offensive coordinator Luke Getze is essentially... What is Justin Fields good at? That's what the Bears will have to figure out with this new regime. Anthony Dress has a sense for that as he has been posting in the social media sphere. Anthony, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Outstanding. And I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation because you know, I spent a lot of time 
uh, in the years that Matt Nagy was here as the Bears coach, saying, man, they just, for whatever reason, they are not playing to the strengths of their QB. It was Mitch Trubisky for a few seasons last season. It was Justin Fields. And now there's a new regime to come in. And they're at least so far saying the right things about trying to play to the strengths of the quarterback. But Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy said that sometimes too. Well, what is the sense that you've been able to to glean for for just uh, kind of starting off with the, the clean pocket aspect of things. So there were times when Justin Fields had a clean pocket. What were some of your observations of his play in those moments? Yeah, I mean, and this is why I, I'm very bullish on Justin Fields moving forward and why I think Chicago has their guy. I think he's going, Justin Fields will be, you know, that franchise quarterback this franchise has been longing for for a long time. You know, for most rookies, you see those, um, I would say, boneheaded type of mistakes, right? You know, even in clean pockets. You know, we saw Trevor Lawrence go through that this past year. We've seen pretty much every rookie go through that, right? With Justin Fields, that didn't really happen, right? I mean, he made the right decisions when he was kept clean, free from pressure. We really never saw those bad decisions. And you go back to his days at Ohio State, that's one of his biggest strengths, right? He always had a low turnover-worthy throw rate when going downfield because he knew how to take good care of the football. Now, if you go into premium stats in our database, you'll, you'll see that he does have, Justin Fields has a high turnover-worthy play rate from his rookie season, but those are mostly fumbles. You know, when you're looking at when he's in rhythm, you know, and he's in a clean pocket, his turnover-worthy play rate's around 1%. And that's one of the best in the NFL, actually, second behind only Kyler Murray when in rhythm. So that's the, that's the stat right there that I think a lot of Bears fans really need to be excited about because that shows that he is a good decision-maker and two, he has the special arm talent, right? He can still deliver on those big-time throws and really elevate Luke Etsy's offense. You know, I'm curious to see kind of what route he goes into. You know, is he going to kind of, you know, really hone in on rhythm? And I mentioned that in an article over at PFF.com, you know, because that's been a big thing is just the, the classic fundamentals. And, you know, you go back to the last couple of years of Aaron Rodgers, and I'm sorry to say that name, you know, in Chicago radio here, but – you know, why he won the MVP the last couple of years is because, you know, he was more willing to play in rhythm, right? He wasn't relying on his play outside of the structure of the offense. And with Justin Fields, he has that playmaking ability, and he's a fantastic athlete. We've seen, you know, some of those throws that he made outside of the pocket on the run, you know, over the last few weeks of the season. Those were special throws. But at the same time, you don't really want to lean on those types of plays. You don't want to lean on his scrambling ability because, you know, you pull all those plays together, it's still an inefficient offense, right? You want him to get in rhythm with the offense and get rid of the ball a little bit quicker, you know, be a little bit more decisive in the decision-making. And that's what I'm kind of curious to see if Getty's going to kind of keep on that trend or he's going to attack the downfield um, passing ability of him as well in there as, and kind of change some of the, some of his aspects of the offense. But I, I, regardless, there's plenty of reason to be excited about what's going on in Chicago and with the Chicago Bears moving forward with Justin Fields at the helm. I uh, see where, as you posted a couple of days ago, where he was uh, amongst the top four in the NFL in big-time throw rate. Uh, how, how is something like that gauged when, when PFF is evaluating quarterback play? Yeah, so when we say big-time throws, those are our highest-graded throws, right? So we have a grading scale uh, on a play-for-play basis, um, going ranging from minus two to plus two. Um, and anything above a plus one, that's a big-time throw. Anything below a minus one, that's a turnover-worthy play. And so you look at these big time throws and they are as they sound, right? Those are the t- kind of throws when you're looking and you're watching and you say, all right, your draw kind of draws sometimes. Or you say that was a nice throw right there, right? Those special dimes downfield. And 
you know, not every big-time throw is completed. We've seen some of Justin Fields' past year that weren't completed, right? Some of his best throws, and that still goes into the PFF grading system, and that still goes down as a positive play if the receiver dropped it. Um, and that's why, you know, I, you know, I'm biased here, but that's why PFF grading is important there. And so when you look at those big-time throws, I mean, those are, you know, very – it says a lot about the type of quarterback that you have. And you look at what Chicago's had as of late, they, they just have not had that downfield passing element. Right. I mean, even with when Andy Dalton is on the field, you know, that's a big con and a big red flag in his game is that, you know, he can hit the underneath throws, but he can't produce anything downfield. But you're lacking that explosive element and they've been missing that for a while. And Justin Fields can provide that. Right. And, and so when you're looking at how he does that in rhythm and, you know, I did have a tweet, you know, going back to that Pittsburgh game, I think that was probably one of the best performances I saw from the rookie this past year. Um, and it was just because of the sheer amount of those big time throws that he had in that game. Right. And, and, you know, it's rare to see a rookie, you know, come in right away and deliver on those. And you saw that from Justin Fields. And with the way that the offense had been previously structured, and you know, the, the entire sports world kind of came down on Matt Nagy and the Bears for, for the game plan they deployed in Fields' first start against Cleveland, that they did attempt to adjust things with some more run pass balance, with some more consistent movement of the pocket how, how do those two things work together especially for for a younger quarterback to be able to get him on the move because the clean pocket is one thing I mean the accuracy that he has on intermediate and deep passes that certainly stood out in college and he had those flashes last year for this new regime do you see getting Justin Fields on the move and, and having that as a consistent part of the offense does that is that a, a piece of the equation that can make him more successful yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I did mention, too, um, you know, on that article over at BFF.com, his outside-the-pocket pass rate over the last five weeks, it was the highest in the NFL. It was in the 90s, the elite level, and that's hard. That's really rare to see. And that's definitely one of big, Justin Fields' greatest strengths. And I definitely think this new regime is, some, is going to incorporate that. And we'll, I will give the, you know, Matt Nagy the benefit of the doubt because, you know, they were from behind at times, and, you know, he probably played a part in that sometimes. But you kind of lose those elements, right? You can't call those plays maybe that you wanted to, those play-action passes, because you're in obvious passing situations. You're not going to sell anything like that. So you can't dial those plays up. But I, I do think that they're going to be in a better position to integrate those, especially early on in the game. I think that's something that needs to happen, you know, needs to change from last year. Um, you know, even, too, in just utilizing – his mobility, right? You know, I think we're going to see more play-action concepts, more play-action rollouts. But we're also going to see some more uh, designed rushes. And, you know, I, I know Justin Fields was banged up a little bit this past year at times and maybe couldn't be utilizing the ground as much as they would wanted to. But still, it, it could have been a little bit more, right? I mean, it could have been a little bit more than 27 designed carries on over 600 snaps, right? Um, and, and so I do think that this regime is going to cater to their player strengths, right? And that's the most important aspect of coaching, right? You never want to automatically come in and point at the players and say, I'm going to teach you to play my system and my system only. I don't care what your strengths are. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to build your strengths up to this system, right? It, that's not how it is. It's how it used to be. It's about catering to your player strengths. And I definitely think they're going to do that with Justin Fields. You know, just hearing Luke Getty, the way he has talked in the past, you know, even looking, talking with him with Aaron Rodgers, you know, he, you can definitely see he's going to prioritize that. And even with the comments that you played before I hopped on here, that, that shows that right there. So I'm excited to see what he dials up for. Anthony Trash, my guest here on the Lawrence Holmes Show. Anthony Heron filling in for Lawrence Holmes and Anthony of PFF and PFF College. You can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Anthony. Joining me right now on the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline. And obviously uh, I've used – 
PFF and PFF College so much in the midst of broadcasts and and uh, and television and radio over the years. And obviously, a lot of it is subjective, but then it's still a, a useful tool just in helping to evaluate what we're seeing. And I'm wondering, you know, something like the like when Justin Fields was coming out of Ohio State because I covered all his games at OSU and now covers games with the Bears. And my evaluation was just in seeing that accuracy, intermediate and deep, and like you're talking about from a clean pocket. But the concern that I had there that showed up during his rookie season as well was the the quickness of Reed. You know, the the ability to – he rarely got fooled, but it did take that additional moment. He didn't strike me as the most anticipatory thrower, but – once it's there in a clean pocket, he can get it there as well as anyone. What is your your experience just in evaluating this of how much? Because NFL quarterbacks aren't always going to operate from a clean pocket. So the the ability to quicken the timing of, of getting the ball out of his hands, is that something you tend to see young quarterbacks grow with? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Fields' tendency is that he's always looking for that downfield play. Right? He's looking yeah. for the home run. And, you know, in Ohio State hunting. offense, Exactly. Yeah. In Ohio State's offense, I mean, a lot of the times it was there because I mean, he was surrounded by NFL talent and two wide receivers that are going to go, you know, probably in the first round here in a couple of months. And then we'll see if one of them slides to Chicago in round two. Um, but yeah, he was always looking for the downfield play, right? And he needs to learn to take what the defense gives him underneath, right? And, you know, that was a big thing too. Even Matt Nagy, when they first drafted him, that was the biggest issue that he had and what they needed to work on in the offseason and leading up to the season. Um, and, you know, we still, we didn't see that issue fully flushed out, right? He still had one of the longest average time to throws in the NFL. And, you know, when you get under, when you hold on to the ball for a little bit longer at the NFL, you're going to be in a lot more pressure. And when you get these defensive linemen that are bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, it's going to be a little bit harder to evade them. And then it's going to kind of rattle you a little bit and make the right decision. And, you know, that's where we saw some of the fumbles too occur. And, you know, with the issues with Justin Field was the fumbling this past year in those muddy pockets. That's where it started to show. And, you know, that's why I kind of mentioned, I alluded to it a little bit ago with Luke Getsky and how important he think, thinks rhythm is. I, I think that's going to significantly help Justin Fields in developing, right? And, you know, I don't think it's so much the, you know, I, I know a lot of people, um, you know, said he was a one-read quarterback or something like that throughout the last pre-draft process. And I don't think he's a one-read quarterback by any means. I, I just think he is, you know, a quarterback that knows he has a big arm. He has an exceptional arm, one of the best arms, I would say you know, for a younger quarterback, you know, in the league. Um, and he wants to utilize that. He's always looking for that home run. And, you know, when that's taken away, then you have to quickly find something. And by that time, your check's down, your check down and it's down. It's already getting snuffed out. It's no longer there. You're not going to fully maximize that. And you got to run around and use your legs. And that's when some of the ugly moments can happen, right? And so I, I do think with younger quarterbacks, you do tend to see that. And you, you tend to see them take a lot more sucks than they should. Um, and we did see that with Justin Fields at Ohio State, too. And, and so I think this is, you know, this whole thing and all the stuff I just said, I still think that's going to be something that's in his game. That's just the way he plays the game. I don't think that you can completely reverse it. And, you know, at the same time, he still gives you that playmaking ability, like I said, that kind of counteracts it. I do think it's, just, it's going to be more improved on so it's not as much of an issue as it was during his rookie campaign. Similar to Russell Wilson, would, would that be a fair comp of the, the type, the style of, of quarterback you're talking about? Well, Wilson at this point in his career will still hold the ball at times, but will throw an outstanding deep ball that can get there on time in rhythm with accuracy. But ball's going to get held at times. Is that a you know a guy who's maybe been around the block longer but still maybe has some of those tendencies? Would Russell Wilson be a decent comp for that? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, actually, as soon as uh, you know Chicago made the trade up, 
um, and made the pick last year, immediately wrote an article and said, Justin Fields is a bigger, faster, stronger Russell Wilson, in my opinion. And I think this is a franchise-altering move for the better. Um, I think that's a fantastic comp. And Russell Wilson is a fantastic quarterback, right? You know, significantly better than, you know, anything Chicago has had, you know, over the last couple of decades. So I, I think that's a perfect comp for Justin Fields' play, right? I, I think, you know, with Russell Wilson, he's still doing the same stuff. But, you know, he, he's still, you know, playing at a fairly reasonable level, you know, with exception this past year when he kind of, you know, rushed back through an injury and that's a whole other can of worms. But, no, I 100% agree with you. Joe Burrow is a, a name that folks have, especially here, and I, I suppose all around the National Football League, when you look at, look at what Cincinnati was and in his rookie years playing pretty well and then he gets hurt and now uh, this season uh, just kind of consistently ascends throughout the year to the point where the Bengals end up uh, appearing in the Super Bowl. What can Bears fans, what can those who are so hopeful about Justin Fields' development from year one to year two, what can be gleaned from looking at what Joe Burrow was able to accomplish in his second season with the Cincinnati Bengals team that really isn't much more gifted than what the Bears have to work with here in Chicago? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, for starters, it'd be great if they could get, you know, a Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave to team up with Justin Fields. I don't think either of them are going to be, you know, Jamar Chase type of impact, but that, that would be a great start, right? Uh, but no, I mean, it's the biggest thing with Joe Burrow, the biggest reason for his leap. I think the impact of Jamar Chase was definitely there, but, you know, just the, the composure and the calmness, and that's where you kind of see the Joe Cool, you know, stuff, right, with Joe Burrow, um, you know, just what he can do under duress and kind of make some, go out there and make a play but also his processing, you know, that, that's the biggest thing. The biggest thing with the quarterback position is still in between the ears, right? And Joe Burrow has that. And I still think Justin Fields has that. I don't, I don't think that's, you know, something that anyone should be concerned about long-term with him. I thought that was a little bit, you know, overrun in the pre-draft process. And ultimately I, I think that's a big reason why he slid a little bit in the NFL draft. And I think Chicago should be elated that he slid and they were able to jump up and get him because, if it were my shoes, if I were San Francisco at number three, I would have taken Justin Fields, right? You know, and, and so I, I think with Joe Burrow, it's just looking at the calmness, right? It, it's just, you know, he's not too, not too, um, you know, panicky in the moment. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. And, you know, just the way he can read and process defenses is a big thing there. So, you know, Joe Burrow, got, you know, he has the arm talent there. You know, he's a very accurate quarterback, and that's Justin Fields. And, you know, while Justin Fields didn't really have the accuracy numbers we were expecting this year, that's not something I'd be concerned about. Because, you know, like you said, you know, when you were watching him at Ohio State, that's the biggest thing that jumped out, the accuracy, right? And, you know, we have plenty of data to show that he is a very accurate quarterback. He just needs to be in a much, much better situation because I don't think anybody's arguing the situation this past year with him in Chicago just really wasn't one of the best in the NFL. So is there is there an offense that you see in the National Football League that you feel like, you know, through the through the Luke Getze lens where you're saying, all right, we're this blank canvas in Chicago and who knows what we're going to run. We're just going to figure out what suits Justin Fields best. Is there, as you look around the, the NFL, is there a system that you see folks running where you say, you know what, that that would be a good comp. Is there a quarterback in a place or weaponry or just a, a game plan for an NFL offense that you, just, that you think that's what the Bears should look to model themselves after for Fields? Yeah, I do think, you know, the elements of what Getsy um, comes from in Green Bay, I, I think that definitely would work with Justin Fields. But, you know, one offense in particular and, you know, I got to give credit to one of our podcasts here you know, at PFS called Too High with Seth Galina and Deontay Lee, two of the smartest football minds 
um, you know, I've ever talked to, right? And I highly recommend going to check out, check them out on Twitter and over at PFF.com. You know, they're talking about this as well and just really utilizing his downfield arm talent. And, you know, I think the Kevin Stefanski offense in Cleveland, the way they, you know, they mix in play action concepts, right? Built off the wide zone, you know, the stretch zone plays. I, I think that would be, you know, some good elements to bring in right there because not only does that utilize you know, Justin Fields' arm talent, but it also protects him from pressure because it takes those true pass sets away from the offensive line. You know, they don't have a chance to lose the, those one-on-one battles. Um, and, you know, as we saw this past year, the offensive line, it was a, a rather big issue, right? And so, I, I mean, but definitely when you look back at Justin Fields' rookie campaign, I think the number one, one of the first things that's going to come to mind is that Cleveland game. I, I think I still, I still remember back to that game just the day after. I'm like, I can't believe this happened. Um, but, you know, it's just those elements – removing those true pass sets, protecting the offensive line. And it's definitely going to be better next year when they have, because they're going to bring in other players. They're going to develop the young talent they have, like Kevin Jenkins, the second-round pick from last year. Um, and so it's going to be better, but it's still not going to be the cream of the crop, right? So I, I think, you know, utilizing elements of Kevin Stefanski's offense, I think that would, be, that would do wonders for not just Justin Fields, but really everybody on the, the entire offensive side of the ball. Lots of reason for Bears fans to be eager, to be intrigued, to be even excited. And now that the offseason is here, we'll see what kind of weaponry they end up adding around Justin Fields. I see a few texts that have been coming in on the text line as well. I get a chance to address a little bit of that with what the Bears fans are intrigued about for what they may do heading towards the draft here. But if anything, folks, make sure you follow Anthony Tresh because he breaks this thing down, evaluates it as well as anyone there at Pro Football Focus. Really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. All right. That is Anthony Tresh of PFF, PFF College, Pro Football Focus. He is on Twitter at PFF underscore Anthony, senior college analyst with Pro Football Focus. So I got um, just a couple of couple other final thoughts and really a, a question about one thing. So we, we had the big storyline around Michigan basketball. We addressed that a bit last night. But then there's also just something, uh, one of my athletic endeavors that I'm looking for ruling on. A little bit to get to and a lot of time to do. We'll get to all those things before transition here leading in to Parkins and Spiegel on Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. Mighty, healthy, off supreme, hardest track ever. Chilling with my man, Rusty Ghost is a beast. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. The Iowa Hawkeyes took the basketball court last night. They did so on a night where they were retiring the jersey of Luca Garza, who had been the two-time National Player of the Year. And Michigan State showed up in town and... Uh, the last two times that, that Iowa and Michigan State have played between last season and this season, Iowa's just been mopping the floor with the Spartans for whatever reason. There's something about that that matchup that just doesn't suit Sparty. And after the game, Tom Izzo was talking about, like, you know what, Fran McCaffrey should be the Big Ten coach of the year. Um, that being said, something that Tom Izzo had said earlier in the day they got some steam was about handshake lines. And I was talking about a lot on the show last night. And, of course, everyone's been covering the situation with Jawan Howard and Michigan basketball, the scuffle that happened after the game the other day against uh, Wisconsin basketball. And one spot where you got two really competitive coaches, you know, Tom Ezzo, he's about to be the all-time wins leader in Big Ten men's basketball history for coaches, and Fran McCaffrey as intense 
and and as fiery a coach as there is. And Fran McCaffrey has had a couple of near moments. Like even, you know, folks who watched the Illini closely just a couple of seasons ago, there was a handshake line incident where, where Fran McCaffrey and some of the Illini basketball coaches are jawing and yelling at each other. McCaffrey just takes the Hawkeyes off the court. And Tom Mitchell came out very strongly, and some other coaches have as well, kind of, you know, pro handshake line, essentially, and, and why they think it's very important to do it. And Fran McCaffrey, not he didn't directly disagree with Tom Izzo, but gave his opposing view of why maybe handshake lines are not the best idea. The handshake line is not something I'm, I'm in favor of. Not that I'm not in favor of sportsmanship. Clearly I am. But, uh, you know, I think it's a recipe for a problem. It happens all the time. So you think it should just be eliminated, or should it be case by case where the team's going to See, the thing, I don't think people realize, Pat, there's a lot of conversation that goes on between the coaches and the players. If you want to give somebody a hug, you can. If you want to spend time with somebody, you can. It doesn't have to be forced, and it doesn't have to be right at that moment. You know, a lot of things happen throughout the course of the game. There's a lot of intensity, a lot of stuff said. You know, so you got you might have an issue, and there has been some. You know, I, I think we, we just move on. Is that the biggest problem? That the things are way too fresh and. Yeah, it just takes one, one, one person to say something and, and everybody's right on top of each other. You know, so you guys know how, how, how intense we are. You know, the pressures on the players, the coaches. Uh, a lot of stuff is said, you know, a lot of stuff was said to our team at Ohio State. You know, not by them, by the fans. You, know, you deal with it. You know, I have pulled my team off the floor before, you guys have seen that. And I have been commended, you know, by my administration to two different places for doing that. My, my main concern is the health and welfare of our guys. And I'm sure a lot of you heard the, the Tom Izzo sound that got a lot of run yesterday. And that was Fran McCaffrey. And the, and the audio we just played was from Fran McCaffrey addressing the Iowa media earlier this week. I had him on my Big Ten show on SiriusXM this morning. And he gave, you know, essentially the, the, same, the same opinion of the subject that you just heard there. And when it comes down to it, I mean, just think about it like this. I mean, both guys, very fiery competitors, Tom Izzo, Fran McCaffrey, both guys have had moments that, that their institution would view as, as not how they want their coach to behave, that folks would in some ways call embarrassing. We've seen multiple NCAA tournaments in a row where, where Tom Izzo has gotten into what's effectively shouting matches with his players. Last year was putting his hands on a player as the player was trying to, like, his player Gabe Brown is walking up the tunnel in halftime and Tom Izzo is, like, chasing his player, grabbing him and putting his hands on him. And that, as I've said here, and I was talking about it a bit last night, that actually makes me more uneasy than, than you know, Jawan Howard at least getting into it with a peer, the, the coach-to-coach altercation. The, you know, and you don't, you don't want to be in a position where you're striking anyone there's no doubt about that but in the end you have these two very fiery competitive guys Tom Izzo Fran McCaffrey both having opposing opinions on the handshake line to a large extent there I personally I don't think I don't think handshake lines need to be outlawed and frankly there's not a specific rule in place that they have to happen but what what happens in the in the professional sports realm where you get teams who just yeah, the meetup near midfield, the coaches, all right, maybe they shake hands, maybe they don't. And players who want to congratulate each other or have some sort of a relationship that predates the game, you, you go, you dap a guy up, you hug him, you take a picture, whatever you're going to do, you trade jerseys and all those things. That stuff can still happen 
in college. But I think it's it's important to note, you know, through through the lens, through the context of Juwan Howard, as as much as he did overreact. When you look at the you know just sort of the the time that that Tom Izzo, Fran McCaffrey have both been coaches, and the the really intense exchanges that each have had, the the times that each have overstepped their bounds, in my opinion, you know, they've both had that opportunity to to course correct, to continue, to perhaps make further mistakes or to make no mistakes again. And I think that that's where, you know, as we view Juwan Howard in the lens of Michigan basketball, you know, I don't know where Juwan Howard stands on handshake lines or not. I know he is a competitive guy that shouldn't, in theory, put his hands on people, shouldn't strike another coach without a doubt. And in the end, I, I anticipate Juwan Howard will course correct. But I thought it was really interesting to – and Fran McCaffrey, he actually even – specifically on my show this morning addressed like Juwan Howard and and how that played out and he mentioned multiple other examples that have happened in college basketball where full brawls have broken out that were even you know more you know a, a little more animated than what even happened the other day in Madison Wisconsin so you know hopefully we'll, we'll kind of we'll move past this we'll get on to the next thing and you know Juwan Howard's out for the remainder of the regular season but I'm sure folks will will watch closely and eagerly anticipate if you see Michigan and Wisconsin meet up in the Big Ten men's basketball tournament. I'm about to meet up with Parkins and Speaker. We got some transition on the way here. I'm curious what the boys have in store for today. And I'll pose them a question that maybe they can give me a ruling on something I became curious about here in recent days. We'll do that next on The Score. Thanks for playing some Mooting. That made me feel good. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. 